to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. He said, "Well, the other day at school, I was on the top of the building, and I really, really wanted to jump off." I mean, sitting there in that session, listening, you know, you can't actually believe it's happening to you. Your precious child sitting next to you telling you that they, they thought about jumping off a building and killing themselves. And you, and you don't know why. It's the most desperate feeling. Welcome to the deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. What if you knew your child was heavily depressed and was giving suicidal hints? What if you found out the reason for that was because they were incredibly unhappy with the gender they were assigned at birth? What if, on the edge of puberty, you found out it was no longer possible for them to pretend any longer? They wanted to be the opposite sex. They wanted to transition. How would you feel? Would you support or resist? Would you pull them out of school, help them choose a name, and fight every judgmental person along the way? Who would you be if your child wanted to transition? I think this is going to be one of the most fascinating conversations for parents to listen to today. Because, Lindsay, you are the mother of twins. That's right. And about three years ago, something changed in your life quite dramatically. Can you tell us what happened on that day? Mm, I can. It was the 25th of October, three years ago. And I remember the date because it was my husband's birthday. My son, Sterling, said to me, Mum, you know how my brother and I like to play the game, Would You Rather?, and I said, yes. He said, well, we were playing the game last week and this week, and my brother said some strange things. My brother said to me, would you rather be a woman or have a million dollars? And I said, well, I'm a boy, so of course I'd rather have a million dollars. And he said to me, well, I'd rather be a woman. And I thought that was weird. So we just carried on walking the dogs. And the next week, he said it again. He said, would you rather be a handsome man or a beautiful woman? And I said, well, obviously, I'd rather be a handsome man. And he said, well, I'd rather be a beautiful woman. Sterling told this to me while he was packing the dishwasher one evening. It was just him and I at home. Uh, his brother, Orlando, had gone walking the dogs and... His dad, my husband, was away working in Singapore on a big case. And as he said it to me, as Sterling said that to me, I knew that it was true. I knew that that explained why Orlando had been depressed since about the age of 10, chronically, mm. suicidally, suicidally depressed, with no explanation at all. We had been through endless psychiatrists, psychologists, medication, and nothing seemed to change that. We didn't, the children had a happy home. They had had a positive life experience. My husband and I loved each other. There was no drama at home. We had a great house. We both had, my husband and I had great jobs. There was everything that would indicate positive, happy childhood for our children. 
And yet Orlando was never happy from quite even maybe before 10. And so as Sterling said to me uh, that Orlando had said this, I knew that that was probably almost certainly the explanation for how Orlando came to be so depressed. Mm. And um, even though I felt sick, I mean, even now I can get goosebumps about it, um, with fear and uh feeling completely overwhelmed by the idea my whole body in a in a way went into shock and I was disassociating almost but I knew that that explained it because there was no other explanation there was no other explanation for a child that really didn't want to live at age well that was in year seven so but it had been going on for some time for both of them um that Sterling was familiar with this depression and so were we and and um, I, I didn't know what to say at all. And we just carried on, you know, packing the dishwasher. Orlando came back from walking the dog. And I just carried on. Uh, and Sterling said to me, look, you can't say that I told you any of this. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really weird. And no, neither of us said transgender or, or anything. We just we were just in shock uh, in a way, well, I, particularly me. So I just got the kids to bed in a fugue. Uh, and I, um, I sat down after they were in bed and I, I, I don't remember what happened. I lost a lot of time that night. I, I was on my own. Angus was away and I just sat in cold shock and a sweat from thinking about this, just feeling devastated, absolutely devastated that my beautiful boy, who was actually then 12, um, nearly six foot, um, very handsome, very clever, that this was the explanation for the depression. Um, eventually, I sent an email to my husband, and I, I mean, I didn't even know how to say it. I said, look, you know, this is the weird thing. I don't even know how to say this. You know, Orlando may well be transgender, and that's why he's been so depressed. And he phoned me from a car phone on the way to function and he said no you just calm down you're a very emotional person you know it's not necessarily the case we just need to bear this in mind I've been through phases it's a phase and maybe Sterling misunderstood you know uh, I just I was just quiet I knew it's like a mum's gut mm. instinct mm. and it had it, is it almost like you were searching for a reason all those years mm. from that depression mm. that now it was kind of like the answer dropped in your mm. lap and now mm. you have to do something with mm. it? Mm. Absolutely. I knew from that, the, as Sterling said it, I knew absolutely that it was true. You know, it explained everything. Was there a part of you that was relieved that you knew if he had been in a suicidal state for so long and you had a key was there something that was relieved in maybe you could make a difference or help or was it just no. too much at that point? No, I, I, I couldn't even think like that till much later in the, in the process. At that time, I just felt overwhelming fear. And what was the fear? I guess I just, I didn't know any transgender people. The kind of image that I had of transgender people in society was just that they were outsiders, they were marginalized, they were rejected, people didn't accept them, and they just had shocking, terrible lives. Um, And I I had a sense that all my hopes and dreams and wishes for this child would fall apart, that he would just have the worst life ever. Mm. Um, And and I, I just didn't, I could, that's all I could think about. I had met one transgender person at a barbecue in Sydney and she was just, she'd come out late in life. She was nearly 60. She looked funny. She had a terrible life. Her family rejected her. Mm. And I just thought, oh my God, it's, it's going to be like her. And this fear, you just, you just, yeah, you, you, you have a sense that every, your child's life is ruined mm. in that moment absolutely ruined here's this child who's one of the top students really brilliant looks very masculine quite attractive or handsome as as a boy and with all these kind of prospects i mean in her in his future and they're all gone in that moment all gone is it almost like a terminal diagnosis in a weird way yeah i guess 
I hadn't thought about that. But in a way, that's that I had that yeah similar feelings once before in my life. I, I, I a doctor told me that he thought I had ovarian cancer, and I didn't. And I went into this shock and passed out in his in his waiting room. And um, it was a similar feeling, like absolutely the end of the world, frozen, lost, unable to focus, couldn't think, lost time, couldn't explain myself. I mean, it was the most bizarre experience ever. Um, So what happens when Orlando sees there's a massive shift in his mum and you need to discuss something. What is your next step after your husband goes, calm down, Mm. it's going to be fine, this will pass? What's your next step? So at that stage, Orlando didn't know that I knew. Mm -hmm. So um, the next morning, I decided overnight, um, we're going to see his psychiatrist. That was all I could think about. We're going to have to go and see a psychiatrist and something's going to happen there. I don't know what. So I said to Sterling, right, you're off to school. I didn't wake up Orlando until much later. And then I said to him, right, we're going to see um, Jen today. And he said, oh, why? So I said, no, I think, you know, we need to talk about your medication, changing your medication. It's not working. Um, And then Sterling had gone. And so I said, before we go, I can only phone Jen at nine. Let's just go for a walk with the dogs. I said to Orlando, let's go for a walk. Um, And... We we just got out the house. I, I, I couldn't contain myself. Um, we were 100 meters down and I said, look, Orlando, um, I have a sense that you're struggling with something. And um, I'm taking from the fact that you're interested currently, n- new, newly interested in ballet. You made a joke last week to your dad and I about how we shouldn't assume your gender. You've been reading a lot of transgender novels um, and I'm wondering if you're dealing with gender identity struggles. He was so furious. I, I think shocked to his core. I, I realized that he didn't know that he'd been telling Sterling, you know, in his mind, mm. it, it wasn't obvious. So he had not told anybody as far as he knew. And this was me. Confronting. Uh, confronting him with this and we're walking side by side I can remember exactly where we were in Mandy where we were when this conversation happened exact spot and and he said how do you know and I said no well as I've told you these are the you know trying to be so calm meantime my heart is I mean I'm literally nearly having a panic attack and uh, I said what are you and um, he said yes I'm gender dysphoric didn't even know that word myself at that stage um, and so I said, oh, okay. Um, and he said, I don't want to talk about it to you. And normally we're really close and we have a positive relationship and he was so angry. Anyway, we walk a bit further with the dogs and I say, well, I'm thinking we should go and see Jen today, your psychiatrist, to talk about this. What do you think? Okay, we can do that. All right. He doesn't want to talk and I'm desperate. I've got a mm. million questions mm. to ask and he's just holding back. Mm. Anyway, we get in the car. Oh, I had to go to work for the morning. The appointment was only for the afternoon. Eventually, we get to this. We're driving to the psychiatrist in Surrey Hills from Manly. And I say, okay, Orlando, what shall I tell Jen? It's my way now of finding out what's actually going on here. So he says, well, you can tell her I'm gender dysphoric. I've read every teen novel on being transgender. I identify with all of those kids. And... Um, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, actually want to be a, a, a girl and not a boy. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Just keeping calm, keeping calm. We get to the psychiatrist. Meantime, I'm shivering and shaking the whole time. And I'm trying to hold it together. We park, go into the psychiatrist rooms and, uh, Orlando says, you can go and tell her. I can't tell her. Now he's been seeing this woman for a long time as well. Mm. Now, and he hasn't told her this thing. So I go up the stairs, sit in her chair, and I say, well, Jen, this is this is the explanation. And she says, oh, well, don't jump to conclusions. You know, uh, most often kids come out when they're two or three, and this is quite unusual. Turns out it's not. Mm. Um, it's very common to come out in your teen years, much more than two or three. And she says, you know, you know that Orlando's on the Asperger's spectrum, and, you know, it's quite common. I said, oh, how common? So she says, well, 
you've got seven to eight times the chance of being transgender if you're on the spectrum. I'm like, well, <laughs> that reassured me. Not. Because that's even as, as she says that I'm like, right, I know. This child was diagnosed at age six. He doesn't actually know that at this stage because mm -hmm. people didn't want us to tell him for a whole series of reasons. My husband's family has got plenty of people who have been diagnosed and who are undiagnosed um, with Asperger's. It's now called autism with social communication disorder. Um, so she says, no, just keep calm. We're going to talk. You know, Lando must go to therapy and work this out, whatever. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I'm grasping onto straws. I'm thinking, please let Jen be right. Please let Jen be right. My son is gay. You know, that is what's actually going on here. Because she says that's quite common. I'm thinking, okay, that's what it is. But I, in my heart, I know. Mm -hmm. I know that's not the explanation. Mm -hmm. Orlando is a non-emotional, very rational person like my husband. When I confronted him on that walk and I said, do you have gender identity issues? And the way he looked at me, the way he said yes, uh, the research he had done, I knew that there's no question. He knows. He knew. He absolutely knew. It sounds like there is so much fear mm. with you, mm. with your son, mm. even with the therapist. Mm. How do you start to move through this fear and go, okay, what is it? Because I know as a mother it's always what does the child need? Mm. How do I make this right for him? Mm. How do you bridge the gap? Mm. Well, I, I think in the beginning there was no uh, – my, my only way to deal with it was just to talk to people I was close to. My closest friend here in Sydney, my closest friend in Durban, both of them psychotherapists, and mm. talk through, you know. We'd all trained as psychologists at the same university and – um, so try and say it aloud, try and work, get their feedback. Um, I think, though, for me, the only thing that really made a difference at that stage was going to the gender center in Annandale, sitting in a room with 30 other trans parents mm. and having them tell their stories and just knowing that's my story, that's my story, I hear that, that fits for me. And... I'm even now I've still got goosebumps about it. It's quite going back to those early stages. Um, so the fear abates just a little bit when you see the parents of of adult trans people in their twenties who are going to university, who've got jobs, who've got normal lives, etc. Um, so that's the one element uh, of just seeing, oh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It can be okay. And then also then looking at these younger people and, and uh, people with younger kids and saying, okay, it's not just me. And then and the facilitator saying 1.3% of Australian teens are transgender and it's becoming a normalized mm -hmm. experience. So that was the one way that I, I was able to contain myself some of the time. And then seeing how Orlando suddenly – when we decided on a new name and started using the pronouns she and her, which I'll now do from from now on the interview as a, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and suddenly she was able to be liberated. And she, not all the time, and there was still 90% of the time she was struggling and depressed, but there were suddenly moments, bizarrely, um, where she would, do pirouettes around the lounge room and sing and things I hadn't seen for years. And Sterling said, Mom, you know, what's wrong with my sibling? They're being so flamboyant. And I'd be like, I don't know. This is just, you know, new. And and But at the same time, I was feeling weird about it. I was just like, okay, maybe this is going to take away my terror of suicide. Mm. That's worse can we dip back into that part for a moment of having a suicidal child? Mm. Because that is every parent's worst mm. nightmare. Mm. And as a such a, a young child mm. showing signs mm. of this, was that not only in his manner, but did he say things to you mm. that were outwardly suicidal? Mm. He, he used to tell me, I'm so different at my school that I just don't want to live. Um, there's no point to living. I don't see, I, I can see no meaning in my life. I mean, 10, 11, 12, I hate myself. I, I hate being alive. And, 
and you just haven't got a clue. And and then one day he told me, actually he told the doctor at a, a mental health plan session when she asked him, have you ever had thoughts of suicide? And he said, yes. And she said, have you ever tried to act on them? I'd never heard this. And he said, yes. And she said, well, can you tell me how and when? He said, well, the other day at school, I was on the top of the building and I really, really wanted to jump off. I mean, sitting there in that session, listening, you know, you can't actually believe it's happening to you. Your precious child sitting next to you telling you that they they thought about jumping off a building and killing themselves. And you and you don't know why. It's the most desperate feeling. I mean, you know, we were at every psychiatrist, every psychologist. The child was on antidepressants really young mm. and still nothing. It just mm. continued and crying at night in bed and, yeah. and unhappy about everything and, you know, the psychologists would say, well, kids on the spectrum are easily depressed and anxious. And you're like, like, you think to yourself like this, yeah, like this. Yeah. My child wants to kill himself. It is the most terrifying thing. And so in a way, that is what allows so many trans parents to make the transition. Because the gender center and all the literature will tell you 50% of transgender t- teens try to kill themselves 50 percent. it's the highest Half. rate of anyone no. any group in the world uh, the torment i mm. mean because of the lack of understanding within our society the torment on a mm. child mm. to feel a truth and be so disappointed with that mm. truth mm. that you want to not exist yeah. because you don't fit mm. and I understand the pirouettes and I understand Mm. the singing because imagine that moment of freedom Mm. Mm. of just stepping into who you are. Like, I mean, it makes me quite emotional to think about that amount of pain for your child Mm. to suffer and then in a moment feel, of course, there's so much, so many challenges to be faced with transitioning, but that moment of acknowledgement mm-hmm. mm. how is that when you acknowledged it and and was that different for your husband to acknowledge because I imagine this is everyone deals so differently it was very uh different for the two of us um and it's only it took two years before in a way we were on a par he um being a very introspective very rational person um he just went silent for months, very, very quiet. He never spoke. He didn't sleep. He couldn't re- really engage with our child. I mean, he tried. I, I saw that. I saw him try. He read everything there was to read about being transgender. He'd send me articles a few times a day. I saw this in the paper. Here's this article. This is going on. Um, but he was devastated. He was in tears a lot. Um if people asked him about it, he would start to cry. And he's, you know, he's a farm boy. and He's a lawyer and in courtroom situations. He's very tough. He's got an incredible internal resilience. Other than his father dying, I've never seen him like this. And, and both of us would say that there's never been anything so hard in our life. And we've had a lot of hard things as our child identifying as transgender. Was that hard on Olivia? You know, we kept it from her. Mm. Um, she didn't see. She that. didn't see that. We. Um, she was so attached to me, um, and a narcissistic, like all teenagers, and wrapped up in her own gender stuff. dysphoria yeah. and stuff. And he certainly didn't show it. He's to her. Um, so she was protected from that, but that mm, was his internal mm. struggle. And really, it, would you say that there is a part? that is really grieving your son. Mm, I definitely would. There is a loss. and You know, a lot of people who are in the trans community don't like to talk about that. But actually, I mean, I see myself now as completely trans supportive. But I, I, there's no question that there's a loss, a huge loss um, of so many things. I mean... It, it becomes, at first, it's about losing your son, the son that you've known for 12, 13 years. Um, 
and you know in a particular kind of way. And then it becomes a loss about their, their prospects and, and what it's like to parent in this situation and even your own life. That sounds, sounds so selfish. But suddenly this kind of quite normal life you're having becomes incredibly fraught for decades or at least, uh, you know, until the child has grown up and happy, uh, if, you, if they ever are. You have the sense like uh, we've got now 10, 15 years ahead of us of trauma. And giving up the sense that you can have a calm, happy, easy life is is quite a loss. Is that true now that you're further along? Is that still true that you believe things will still be traumatic? Because the past in which you were living sounded quite traumatic, mm. having a suicidal mm. child. Do you still view it that way? No, for us it's changed fundamentally. I mean, in, in completely... She lives as Olivia. She's medically transitioning, so she's on estrogen. She'll have the gender surgery when she's 18. She's legally transitioned. Her old name doesn't exist anymore. She socially transitions. She goes to school and lives in the world as Olivia, as a girl. Um, she's stable. Um, she's got interests. She goes to a very supportive school now. Um, I mean, in a way, everything has changed. And there even days and weeks go by where, no, not weeks, days go by when it's, we don't even think about it. And we don't anymore have this thing of uh, worrying about misgendering her and using the wrong pronouns or wrong name or anything. It's just, you know, she's our kid. She's living. We love her and she's doing really well. I mean, she got her school report the other day, mostly A's, and she's really thriving. Um it's like a transition for the whole family. It it's not a transition for just the mm. child. Mm. I want to actually break down every element that you just rattled mm. off because um, I feel like we've done the announcement mm. into this uh, great place that you're in and she's in. How did she, I mean, even something as small as changing, choosing a name, mm. Was that a discussion that she had with you or was she like, mom, if you had a girl, what would you call her? Like, what, how does that come about? I said to her at the time in the first few months, um, do you have a girl's name in mind? And she said, well, my online name for years has been Millie. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Which was, you know, one of those shocking moments you realize for years she's been living as a girl and you had no idea. And that's so hard as Another a mom. Girl, avatar. And you feel, how could I, I not know? that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so I said, okay, we, we, we need to come up with a name. We know a lot of Millie's, which is why I think she would have chosen that. Um, is it possible we could choose a less common name? Um, and also, is it possible, I said to her, that we could choose a name that starts with O so that if we start or other people start to say Orlando, they can check themselves and say oh, something else. Mm. And also your signature will be the same, your initial, you know, is it possible? So she said, no, she likes that idea. And she came up, we were having breakfast, her and I and my close friend Jackie and her daughter Bronte. And so the four of us said, okay, what are the O names? Oprah, Ophelia, Octavia, and they were all dismissed by us. And then someone said, Olivia. And she said, no, I like Olivia. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's never a name I would have chosen. I, I would have chosen an unusual name, as you can tell from the name Orlando. Um, and so she said, no, Olivia's okay. Yeah, I like it. And I like the name Liv as a shortened form. And um, it just became like that. It was the most you organic. Know, uh, yeah, like completely. Switch. And I, it was actually on the way back from a, um, you know, that breakfast. And then Angus came home and I said, oh, we're, um, we're going with Olivia. I mean, he's, he's like, oh, right. That's our daughter's name now. It's our daughter and her name is Olivia. Right. So was there a day, was there a moment that we were like, today is the day. Uh, all the pronouns are changed. Your name is changed. Or does it not happen like that? Because I'm wondering, do you jump in and out of Orlando, Olivia, he, she, um, and I'm sounding naive, but I, I, mm. I think a lot of people would want to know, was there a line in the sand, whereas today is the day that we don't go back? There was actually, and I think for people it's probably different, but for us what happened is um, 
uh, Orlando had been at a gender center trans teen group and I was driving Orlando home and I said, you know, tell me about it. And Orlando said, well, we introduced ourselves. And I said, well, what did you say? And, and uh, we, you have to give your pronouns. And Orlando said, well, I said, I'm she, her. And I realized, okay, that's how this child is seeing themselves. So I said, okay, that's then what we need to do, right? So this child says, yes, I, I would really like to use she and her. And so we... And within a day or two, then we ha I had this breakfast with my friend and her daughter, and we came up with Olivia. And so then it was, we, that, it was a line in the sand. We said, that's it. Um, and we said, no, it's now Olivia and she, her, and nothing else is acceptable. And how many weeks, months was that from the day you had the walk in Manly? On the Well, that was the 26th of October. So that was probably in February the next year. Oh. So quite a few months. Yeah. Still of just kind of yeah. feeling it all out. Yeah. It's really a weird time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you feel like puberty and everyone is different, but that age, 13, and, and giving those obvious hints to her brother mm. that, I don't know, that do they feel like if I keep going... You know, things start to develop, mm -hmm. sexuality is developed, um, you know, e reproduction, everything else mm -hmm. changes. I mean, it's very common for kids to come out at that age. I mean, obviously, it's the time when your identity starting to be established as an independent being in the world. Mm -hmm. But also, I know that her body was changing. Mm -hmm. And I think that was very uncomfortable for her. Mm -hmm. she, she says she knew from age 10 that she was transgender. And the reason she knew is that um, because of her depression, one of the things I used to do was buy her books obsessively. So I bought her a book called George, um, a beautiful white cover with this child in, in, in multicolor, just in the middle, and it was about a transgender teen. But it wasn't like I decided I must buy this. I used to, you know, I used to buy her a, a lot of books to get her to read to, because she, I thought it would make her feel happy. And she said when she read George, it was the first trans novel she read. She just knew that was her. Mm. She says she read it again and again. And then she got a Kindle from her granny and she put George in there. And the, you know how Kindles do that? If you like this book, well, you'll like that one. Yes. And her Kindle was linked to our credit card. Obviously, that's how we paid for the books. And in retrospect, we were. We should have known that she only read transgender novels after that. But you don't always know. Like her favorite book was called The Art of Being Normal. Mm. Um, and she read that over and over. But I didn't know that was about trans kids. But it was. And, you know, when we look back and look at that list of what she read, it was all about it's trans like, kids. It's like a light bulb. Like, oh, yeah. Exactly. It was there, <laughs> like flashing. It's so interesting. Do you – people are going to say – I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but I need to ask it. How can they be sure? And what do you say to the parents? I'm sure you were in that moment of mm. in time too, but what would you say to them? I mean, I can say that at one level that every psychologist, psychiatrist and endocrinologist that we've seen, and I would say they're probably 15 now, every one of them has been 100% sure that Liv is transgender. So... I think it's useful to get medical advice uh, from trusted, com competent people who will tell you. Even this quite conservative endocrinologist that we saw, the first person we saw, he said, this child is transgender after two hours with her. That's the one thing, you know, you get back up. So you, you get a sense that there's no question about this. But for me, the biggest indicator was the child went from being absolutely chronically depressed coming out and being fine. Mm. 
thriving. Thriving, firstly. And secondly, for me, what was significant was that she's quite a conservative child. Her twin is wild, progressive, open-minded, etc. And you emotional. And you could imagine him saying, oh, I'm transgender. And, you know, and he would be like, hmm, really? Whereas with um, this child, she's so rational. She's so conservative. Maths and science are her thing, you know. She doesn't have... Uh, there's no sense of it. And being on the spectrum as well, it's very hard to lie. You know, you don't make things up. You're very black mm, and white. Mm. It was very clear um, for me that she would not do this lightly. And secondly, she said many times to me, I would give anything not to be transgender. Mm. It's not a choice I make at all. It's the hardest choice ever. I would get, she, even now, last week, she said to me, Mom, I think I have to go back to therapy again. I'm having that terrible, terrible wish that I was normal. Mm. I, I think that's such an important punctuated point of this conversation is I don't believe it's a choice. Mm. I believe you're born mm. with the wrong genitalia. Mm. That's mm. that's It's a simple thing. Um, I have very, some would say, radical views, and I don't think that they are. But an analogy that I read was, imagine going in for a knee operation, and when you wake up, they've given you a sex reassignment, and you were always what you were, and in this moment, they changed you, and you want to be something else. I feel like it is so intrinsically in you, whether you know it at 2 or mm. 13 or 25, I don't feel like it's a choice. It's, it absolutely isn't. And you have to meet kids like Olivia to know that. Um, it's the hardest thing ever. She says, wow, Olivia will say that to you, why would anyone think you would choose this? Mm. She said, it's just awful. It's mm. so hard. I have to live with a feeling every day that this is my wrong body. Mm. I've got to go through very terrible traumatic surgery. Mm. But at least I can, as a transgender woman, I can actually do that. Trans men can't actually do that. And they have to live their whole life feeling incomplete. She said, it's it's so hard. Most of society finds it hard to engage with you. Um, it, nobody would do this by choice. It's mm -hmm. absolutely no question about it. And, of course, I've done endless reading about it. And there's, you know... Predominantly now the research is that it's 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 something that happens in utero. I believe that. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I want to ask you, once that day is done and you have Olivia and she knows that there are choices now, she knows she is going through puberty, she knows that she doesn't want this body, there are puberty blockers, which I'd love you to talk about, but as a family and as a parent... Um, making, I mean, a choice together because she is under your, you know, your guardianship. Mm. What do you do? Well, I just networked extensively and I found other trans parents that I trusted. And I said, I need a, I need to go and see someone. And I was referred to this, as I said, quite conservative endocrinologist. Um, and actually it was the right thing because for us in that place we were at at that time, he was very cautious and um, and he's the one who said, look, this kid is transgender. Mm. And um, she's three quarters of the way through puberty, according to the blood test and the, and the bone test. And um, my recommendation is that you give her puberty blockers because all they are is a pause on puberty. Great. If, if the child stops taking this, um, they'll just revert to what, you know, their previous, um, their birth, a gender identity it's all it does is push pause and it gives you time to work out what's actually going on here um so that's a reassuring thing but that's also i mean time is of the essence mm. because yes it's a block but it's almost like if you can catch it before you mm. start it right it's almost like in limbo so once you start the puberty blockers, does she then say, I appreciate that, I feel that, I'm happy with this? 
but eventually this isn't enough for me. That's exactly what happened. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that um, January we went to see this doctor, an uh, endocrinologist. He, he put her onto puberty blockers. Uh, not before we did something which is incredibly difficult, which is to donate sperm for future potential fertility. That's another... That's a really like wow. confronting but, thing with your thirteen-year-old. Uh, so so um, so much, just so big that that mm. decision. Mm. Uh, having a conversation about that, um, I get full body shivers. That you were so, you know, the foresight of this child into an adult going, I might want this. Mm. Like that's really profound. Yeah, it was. was that confronting and. Mm. Difficult, or was Olivia like, I really appreciate this? She didn't want to talk about it, as it's you can so imagine. It's so hard. You've got hard teams, you. I like know. Thirteen-year-old shivers. Um, but she said, "Look, I want to do it, before, mm. and you have to do it before you take the puberty blockers." I mean, some people say you don't, but in general, it's much safer to do that. And there was so that was the only time, and um, it was the endocrinologist who suggested that we do it. And yeah, we went to Westmead Fertility Clinic three times. Um, me and her didn't talk about it, went, left. Anyway, so we did that. And then she went on to Zolidex, um, the puberty blocker, which... And with a, um, a history of depression, are there side effects to this? That um, we didn't know. Um, and I'm not sure why the endocrinologist didn't brief us on this because he told us a lot of other things. But um, she really did not agree with her. And they actually, for her, and it's not the case for everybody, it's, it's, it's the minority. Um, she had psychiatric disturbances and her mood, oh, wow, those six months on Zolodex, I wouldn't have them back for anything. She was crazy, crazy, crazy. And I, I just didn't know what to do. I just assumed this is part of the gender dysphoria, the trauma. She was at a, at a public high school in our neighborhood where she was being bullied out of her mind, physically and mentally. That oh. was, you know, I assumed it was all about that. But actually, once she was off the Zolodex, those things went away. So, okay, so you do a puberty blocker mm. for six months. We did it for six months. It's not the norm. Most people do it until the kids... Um, 16, 17, 18. So years. Mm. And what happens once you take her off that? What's your next? Because you said you they can revert. Something. Yeah. So what's next? So, look, because she had such negative impact of being on it, and also because for her, as you said, it was just not good enough. She wanted to physically transition. Mm -hmm. She just said, I want to be on estrogen. And we went back to that endocrinologist. He said, no, I, this child is transgender. She will be on estrogen one day. But we, we've got a line in the sand that we draw here, and that is at 16. And we're not going to give it to her until she's 16. And how old is she? She was 14. Uh. And um, I, I, I mean, I was desperate. My GP was telling me, this Zolodex is making your child crazy like this. She can't go off it because then she'll go into male puberty. She wants estrogen. He won't, the endo, endocrinologist won't give it to her, even though he says she will have it. And so we went to an endocrinologist who would. Um, a bit of a cowboy, no longer practicing. Um, and I knew that. And he gave her far too much. And I had to go back to the GP and I had to learn about it. And we gave her the right dose eventually. Um, but it's very unusual to get estrogen before you're 16. So she's been on it since she was 14. She's 16 now. And explain to me what happens when you give a child estrogen, because I don't actually know. Is it just another verse of, like, is it another blocker or does it mm -hmm. actually develop? She got breasts and um, her body changed shape a bit. Um it's more soft, um, it's, it's more feminine. Yeah, it, it definitely changes you. Um, it, and it, look, it has the hormonal effects in a sense of menopause at times if you have too much of it, which happened at first. But after a while, um, I think it, it shrinks male body parts. She yeah. felt a lot more comfortable in that. She was so that. happy on estrogen. Oh. <laughs> it changed everything for and her. And mood-wise, she was yes. better. Yeah, she was fine. Once she was off that 
solid ex. And I don't know if it was that or being onto estrogen, which she wanted more than anything. How do you take it? Um, well, there are lots of different ways. We started on the pills, then we went on to patches, and eventually on to implants, and the implants have been the most successful. And so she's 16 now. She continues to stay on the estrogen, and she's determined to have surgery at 18 mm. on her birthday. Just like, get me in there. I want to be done with it. Well, no, she's going to be 18 in March of year 12. So oh, okay, the plan no. is to go at the end of the year after the HSC. And are you okay with that? You're all in now. Mm. I just, I mean, I would, I would do it as soon as possible. For me, I just want her to feel like she is herself. Mm-hmm. And I have no question now after endless experiences that she's 100% transgender. Mm-hmm. Um, and she needs to transition. So in April next year, we'll go and see the guy in Melbourne and make the appointment. And at the end of the year, we hope to go and have it done. It's very big surgery, and it's the, uh, the main issue for me is I just feel terrified of the enormity of it. Yes, and I think that if you're interested in it, there is a lot of information online. We mm. don't need to go down that road today mm. because I still have so much to cover. I want to discuss how do you tell your extended family, how do you talk to schools, how do you talk, change school, I mean, how do you find the right school? Let's do that. those three first. Mm. Okay, well, we can start with school since you mentioned that last. So she was so depressed. We didn't know at that time that that was the issue. So we moved her to her brother's school. Then she came out there. And over those holidays, she said to us, I'm going back in year eight as a girl. Um, because she'd come out that October. So now it was, the, you know, the January, February, she's going back as a girl. So I contacted the school and I told them and they said no. So what happened is I said, Orlando's coming back as Olivia. And they said, oh, well, uh, no. There's a whole lot of problems with that. One, we don't have the toilets for her. And I said, well, you don't need the toilets. She's going to the girls' toilet. Right. No, we're not comfortable with that. Two, we're going to have to tell the whole parent body. Obviously, that's legally highly problematic. But why Uh, would you tell the whole? Why? Exactly. Because they need to know there's a transgender child in the school. I said to them, there's 1.3% of kids are trans. There's trans kids already there. And in fact, I know in retrospect that of trans kids at that school. Anyhow, um... And she'll get bullied. Um, her brother, who's got lots of leadership potential and great future in the school, he'll have a terrible time. It's not fair on him. Um, so they were just shaming you out. And we'll let you, yeah, and we'll let you go without having to pay fees, you know, in lieu. Just, just go quietly and it'll be fine. So what was your next choice for her? So then we moved her to a public school in our neighborhood, which we had been told there were some trans kids there. That was one of the most terrible experiences. The school just didn't have a way of coping with a bunch of boys who just tormented her at school, literally. Like they'd shouted her across the corridor, you're not a girl, you haven't got a, you know, the worst word. Um, Then they'd be running time and they'd follow, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon at running, they'd they'd circle her and... um, you know, they jostle her and push her mm. over. And she was walking home from school. They came past and just pushed her over into the mm. ditch. They were absolutely terrible. How long did she end up there? One term, and we had to get her out of there. It was so traumatic. She was really traumatized. She actually liked the school. Um, it was the kids. That, the kid, that bunch of that kids. That bunch of kids. So that was very hard. So that was now her third school already. And she's only in the finishing year eight, term one. And then... Uh, I did a lot of networking, and I, I heard that my school in Ultimo is very open-minded, diverse. And I contacted the principal. I said, please, can I come and talk to you? And I brought Liv along, and um, she was just beautiful with Liv. I actually can cry. But it's probably one of the most significant moments for me, her just talking to Liv, taking her seriously, wanting her to be in the school, just being completely embracing and unbelievable. Oh. She was just... She said, look, you know, we fall, but I'm going to take your child. She can't stay where she is. And from day one, there's never been an incident at that school. And she's now and she halfway it. through year 10. She absolutely loves it. She's so happy there. She's in extension math. She's doing year 11 maths, even though she's in year 10. She's one of the top students. And she has friends. I mean, you know, mostly boys because she's interested in coding and maths and so on. And that's all mm-hmm. stereotypes of the world. Mm-hmm. Um has one girl friend. Um, she's just 
She's just herself there. She's found her place. Mm. What about the extended family or even say you go to your favourite Chinese restaurant for the last 15 years and you arrive with, you know, just those strange Mm. moments that you need to confront? So I just learned early on just to tell people straight away. So they'd say, how are the boys? And I'd say, well... Uh, Sterling's fine, but um, our other child, um, who was born a boy, is transgender and is now Olivia, and we are fine with that in order to cue them to be fine as well. Mm -hmm. So the hardest thing was meeting with people that you'd known for years in a sort of indirect way. Um, And the shock, you know, having to deal with their shock, um, because people are shocked. I mean... That was our most common experience. People would like re- literally physically reel back, mm-hmm. like, "Oh my god!" You know. Mm. Do you still have an underlying fear for hate crimes, for misunderstandings, for all of that stuff that we mm. worry about? Just having children, but now that she's living as a trans woman, do you have that still? Mm, Absolutely. So, for example, we went Broadway on Saturday buying her a new phone because her phone broke and we need to go to the toilet. And we haven't been to malls, of course, for a long time because of COVID. But I was reminded of that thing. Okay, she needs to go to the toilet. I'm going with her. When we get in there, I'll let her go in first. I'll try and be quick and come out at the same time as her and being afraid that somebody might say something, do Mm. something Mm. um, to her. Um, Yeah, I worry about it a lot, um, more than she does or anyone else does, I suppose. But I do feel afraid of that. I would never let her walk around the streets at night on her own, Mm -hmm. like my son does. Mm. Um, Is there anything in retrospect, that you wish you did differently now, having been through it all? I don't know that there's something I could do differently, but in the last six months, it's become incredibly hard for my son. Um, He was her biggest ally, most supportive um, in so many ways. He cued people, my sister this, my sister that. He was, and, you know, he's he embraced Olivia from the beginning. Mm. But what has become apparent is that for him, what happened is that by us, in a way, cutting Orlando out of our life, for a twin, that was like cutting Sterling out and creating a discontinuous sense of identity for him. And he has developed a whole lot of issues around that and I wish that we'd found a way to be able to allow Olivia to transition and still uh, allow Sterling to have a history Mm. so for example one of the things that's hard for him now is photographs Um, and I I took they've got 25 albums of them from from the time they were born until Liv came out and we put them away there's no embracing of the past. I hear it. So for it's important for Liv, mm. but for him, you've mm. erased. Yeah, you've erased his brother. Mm. Yep, and his, his brother and his identity and his own identity yeah, and both. his own place. Mm. And that's even more complicated. Mm. So what do you do now? How is he finding his way through? So at the moment, what we're doing is we have these. Um, he goes to therapy. My husband and I go to parent therapy and we process it because he need and, and one of the things that's come out in our parent therapy is that actually we have to say to Sterling that Orlando existed and we are sorry that we weren't there for you to acknowledge how what a loss that was for you and how difficult it was um, and that um, everything was about Liv and her transitioning. And, and, we, and we really did try, but it was obviously not enough. And he's been quite um, troubled this year by it all. And he told us when we came to talk to him one day after therapy, he said, look, and he showed us on his um, MacBook, he's got photos that we didn't even know he had of him and Orlando growing up. And he said, I look at them every day. 
And he says, it's not that I don't love Liv and I'm happy that she's living as herself and I accept her. He says, but like, I look at that picture of the two of us on the top of the mountain and I say, who was that with me when we were four? Is that Orlando? Is that Olivia? And who am I then? If it's Olivia, you know, I knew that child is Orlando. So we are working really hard on that. He's, it's quite interesting how just acknowledging all of that to him has changed things fundamentally. He was in a crisis of, of you know, a few months, about six weeks ago. But actually, because now we've started going to therapy and he's going to therapy and we're acknowledging it with him and, and he's like, oh, okay. And he's like, it's like he says he can breathe again. Mm. Um, but it took us him reaching a kind of a crisis for us to be able to recognize you guys have had just so much on your plates as parents the past few years. It would be so easy to miss something until mm. it hit mm. a boiling point. That's what happened. Do you feel like there is anything you wish to help listeners understand as a part of a community what we can do more to be supportive I think one of the things I've learned through this is that we as human beings need to do less othering. So if you see people who you would regard as somehow different to you, or, you know, if you see a gay couple, or if you see a black and white couple, or an older woman and a younger man couple, or you see a person who's short, you know, really short, um, I think we have to learn to say, not to other people, not to see them as different, to embrace difference, to recognize that difference is good, mm. you know, that it actually makes our society better, more interesting, more rewarding, um, you know. And in simple ways, for example, this country has been saved on a culinary level by Asian people immigrating here, you know. <laughs> and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Every that's, culture so, coming here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and society is a better place for difference. And so I think the one thing people really need to do is learn to, to be open to and encouraging to seek difference and diversity. Mm-hmm. And in that process, obviously, to accept, you know, different kinds of gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, obviously, at a fundamental level, tra- people, if your child comes out of trance, you have to embrace them, accept them, you know, find ways to help them. So I would say to parents, you you, you have to believe your child. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to identify people who can support you through it Um and you have to take them on a journey that may go anywhere, um, just as you would do, you know, if, if your child had other, other stories, you know, about them that set them apart and meant that they weren't kind of mainstream or normal. In normal, the, normal yeah. in the kind of conventional sense, <laughs> of, you know. Inverted commas. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what they need. They, I, I learned that from so many different trans people. They said to me, they just need to feel loved and accepted by their family, first and foremost. Mm. It's the thing that saves kids more than anything else. And I think that is something that I really hope everyone takes away from this because it's actually not about you. Mm. It's not about the parent. Mm. It's about the child and making that child feel supported. Mm. Our final question on the deep is, who are you when no one's watching? Hmm. When no one's watching, I think I've become uh, very quiet, which is a really strange thing for an extrovert. That I, the last few years, have been incredibly intense and demanding in ways it's impossible to explain. So I'm quiet, and I sit by myself, and I love my dogs, and I, you know, I'll have a glass of wine and revel in my. Uh, my, my aloneness, which is a very strange and unexpected place to find myself. You have been so insightful. I know that this will help so many people, even if that is to challenge the way they look at trans children, trans people. And I just truly appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Zoe. Thanks for having me. I really want to put it out there. Yeah, for all the trans kids in this world. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.